Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about early season corn growth, but I would say we're going to hit a little bit on early season growth in all crops as well. If you've got anything you'd like to talk about that's going on in your farm right now, or if you've got any questions for us, we'd love to take your phone call. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the show today, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. We are live in the Morton studio today, and Darren, the first thing I think about with early season corn growth is the seed treatment side. Our corn this year will have 33 seed treatments on it. And I am super excited about that because what we're finding is we get the corn out of the ground faster. We are seeing about 10 GDUs faster than just the kind of standard industry treatments that are on seed corn. So I think that's huge. That gives us a much better chance to do well in cold soils and just in all soils. So we can get an even emergence. That's the biggest thing, getting all the plants up at the same time. Now, you may say, well, hold on. It doesn't matter to me if I pop up a day later. Okay, that's fine. As long as they all pop up at the same time, at least you're not going to have plants competing against each other. They'll have an equal opportunity to compete. When we think about this early season corn growth, though, I I think about it this way. Those few days, I don't care where you're at, they do make a difference because if we've got more leaf area out there to catch more sunlight in corn, that's huge. If we can catch that sunlight, we're converting that into energy and we're going to eventually make more yield. That's a big thing. And then keeping that plant healthy all the way through that. The other thing in soybeans, I think about, or, or broadleaf crops, wow, if we can catch that early sunlight and we can get that plant to maturity or get it, I'm sorry, get it to the reproductive stages with so much plant mass out there with such a an engine to generate that energy for the plant, once we hit the reproductive phases, we're going to crush it for yield. Last year, it made such a big difference because in our area, we had a very warm early May. Like the first week of May, I think we had four days over 85 degrees, which I get it. If you're in the south, you're like, what? We have that all the time. But in the north, that is really unusual. We had record warm. It ended up ended up being uh, better than 10 bushels planting one week earlier last year. Now, I don't know if we're going to see that every year, but it sure made a difference. And when you look on average, you do see early planting pay off. And a lot of the guys that we're talking to on the radio that, that will talk about early planting are saying, man, I saw a yield advantage. I'm going to try and push it as much as I can early. And like you mentioned, Brian, seed treatments are sure helping. Did you say record warm in May? The first week of May, yeah. No. We, we had some big warm days last year. Uh, Just the the South Dakota state record uh, setter for soybeans last year had almost 114 bushel beans. He planted them yeah, I the understand. Last, last day or two of April. And then when he planted a week yeah. later, like May 8th, he planted again. And it was yeah, 13.8 bushels difference. I'm not trying to argue any of that. I'm just saying when you use the term record warm, I don't think so. I think it was we, 1934 we went, where half the days, it, it's, it's really super interesting. If you go back in history, half the individual days in our state uh, or right in our region here. So Sioux Falls is only, it's the biggest city in South Dakota. It's probably 10 miles from our house uh, and from our farm. And Anyway, if you look back at like half the record highs 
for each individual day for the month of May. They were set, and I believe that the year was 1934. So when you said that, I'm like, it wasn't a record high for May, but it was a very, very warm May. We were way above normal for temp, which I love. Now, Darren, I look at this as the weather kind of evens itself out over time. So if that's true, we should have an awfully warm spring and summer because it's been horrifically cold lately. We set a record just a couple nights ago. It was 21 degrees below zero at my house a couple days ago. And that's the the all-time record for the month of March was 14 below zero. Well, it obliterated that. So, yeah, it's it's horrific outside. But, you know, when we talk about this early season growth, that's one of the things we got to fight against, Darren, is we've got super cold soil temps. And when is that ground finally going to thaw out and warm up? And that's why I come back to seed treatments. But you can also look at fertilizer. A lot of guys will use starter fertilizer. We do on our farm. You can use some insecticide. You could throw some additional fungicide in furrow. And certainly you can pick the right varieties. What do you think about varietal difference? Is that, does that, is that, does that even trump the seed treatments in terms of fast emergence? That's a great question. I, I think the seed treatments can really give a boost. I, I don't can, think there's any the doubt about better? that. I think Variety can be important, but I'll give you an example. There's a 103-day hybrid that we've used on our farm now for the last three years that was rated as one of the worst hybrids for early emergence, and we planted it before snow a couple years ago. It snowed after we planted it, and we had perfect stance. With the good seed treatment with stuff, seed with treatment. fertilizer, so, with fungicide and furrow. Yeah, I mean, there are several but other But the steps. corn breeder, and I talked to the corn breeder for that hybrid and said, all right, uh, I don't know about your rating scale because this one says it doesn't do good. Man, we loaded it up with fertility, put some insecticide in the furrow, put a little bit of uh, low-salt starter pop-up type fertilizer in the furrow. and this thing, treatments. Yep. This thing just jumped right out of the ground. And he's like, well, sure. He goes, my trials are naked, though. I've got none of that stuff. Right. And he goes, I'll tell you this. I guarantee you, if you had that with no seed treatment, nothing in the furrow, and you put that versus some other hybrids, that'd be one of the worst ones out of the ground. So I know they do make a huge difference. Now, when you say that, too, that also gets me thinking about soybeans this year. There's a lot of talk that soybean quality is horrible. So when you get your seed from your seed dealer, you may want to get at least a sample early so you can test it yourself and find out how is the germ and how is the cold germ. And then you might want to get treated versus untreated because a lot of people have talked about, oh, I'm going to save money by not putting treatment on my beans. Problem is that might cut your germ by 5 or 10%. And is that then going to be worth it? I, I, I don't know. So all I'm saying here is early season growth. We're going to talk about it today, especially with corn, but it's super important with every crop you raise. So look hard at seed treatment, insecticide, fungicides, biologicals. We want to pop any crop out of the ground as quickly as possible. And getting off to that great start often results in higher yields and higher profitability as well. We'll talk about that on today's Ag PhD radio show. Stay tuned. White mold, sudden death syndrome, root rot, if you raise soybeans, it may seem like you have all the cards stacked against you when it comes to disease. But did you know there is a new cost-effective seed treatment which can help prevent all three? Heads Up Seed Treatment offers a new proactive approach for dealing with fungal and bacterial diseases. Compatible with other seed treatments, hedge your bet against disease this spring. Ask your dealer for Heads Up today. To locate a dealer, visit headsupst.com. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? 
Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2Save3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today. Brian, early season corn growth. What about the guys that got corn out there right now that are getting awfully cold temperatures? Or, and let's say it doesn't even freeze. You don't lose any leaves. It just slows that early growth down. How big a deal is that? Well, there's nothing much you can do about it, first of all. So what? why worry about it is my point. If the corn, if you've already planted the corn and now you've got some adverse weather conditions, you just have to play it by ear and see how it goes. If you didn't kill the corn, though, it's probably going to be just fine. And keep in mind that growing point is going to be below ground to you reach V6. So you should be in pretty good shape if you only have one, two, three leaves, something like that on it. Yeah, as long as that growing point is beneath the soil surface you aren't at at huge risk of losing those plants. Now, we've had, like I said, we've had snow right over the top of our corn. And I know a lot of guys would get super nervous with that, but it happens. That's that's just the way it goes. And, you know, I know some of our uh, guys at our Ag PhD Field Day that have been working in our first, uh, first step plots have been trying to plant earlier and push that window. We've got one of those guys uh, on the phone with us right now. We've got Chad down in Alabama, Chad Henderson. Chad, how you doing today? Oh, good. How y'all doing? Uh, pretty good. Now, I've just been watching your weather a little bit. It looks uh, a mite bit cold down there. You got that right. It's too <laughs> cold for us. It's sitting here. I'm right now I'm about 36 degrees, but um, it's going to be 24, I think, tonight. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, so yes, if y'all had snow on my corn, I'd get extremely nervous. <laughs> okay. I'm assuming you got a lot of corn in the bag. Do you have any in the ground yet? No, no, no. We would, we would generally, you know, we would start, um, we, when we was running back when we was running one planter, sometimes I would start this early if the ground was pretty warm, you know, but, but now we've usually, we've got two planters we run. So we, uh, we don't usually get going about the 15th to the 20th of March. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. I just wonder what would happen with our farm, Chad, if uh, if we were that far south and it, there wasn't snow out there. I've got a feeling Brian would be running the planter maybe on Christmas. I don't know. He'd have to see some crops yeah. burn off before he'd give it up. 
I guarantee you would. I guarantee you. <laughs> I know Glenn would be trying something. I oh, yeah. Glenn yeah, Glenn, uh, of course, you're talking about Glenn Hers, our research yeah. lead. You bet he would. He would absolutely yeah. be experimenting. Yes. yes, he would be giddy. All right, so March 15th even. I mean, that sounds early, but what what are you doing different on corn you'd put in March 15th versus April 1st? Is it pretty much a standard program all the way through, or do you have kind of a an early planting program? Um, it's it's more of a it's a standard it's kind of a standard program across the board. First of all, you won't really see us planting a lot of our corn that's maybe irrigated ground or maybe our higher yielding corn that early. We'll plant our you know conventional corn acres that we're you know we're budgeting to make a hundred and fifty to a hundred and seventy bushel. It's kind of a good budget for us, you know. So we you know we're talking about planting twenty six to twenty eight thousand seed. You know, just normal production practices. And even on that, if we start, you know, we may do an infer program where we won't on some of the other when it warms up. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me. And you brought up a great point there. Okay, do you put your high-yield stuff in? Do you expect the first stuff to be the highest yielding or not? And you say, ah, I'm going to go on the marginal ground first and, and yeah. do some of the stuff. I know in our farm we'll start off with the odd-shaped fields, the small fields yep. that are kind of a pain, and try and get the planter all dialed in. Is that – I mean, yep. do you really – you can't really do that until you get out and run it on the dirt, can you? That, that's right. That's right. So we'll we'll get in the fields where um, maybe the fields that are further from home even, you know, that are that may dry out the quickest or some that, are, that the top soil isn't as deep. You know, in, in our this, – this, this red dirt that we work with, you know, the top soil is thin in a lot of places. And so we'll try to we're trying to again beat that heat in the ends um, when it starts pollinating later in the year. So we're trying to get that stand that thing up and going, you know. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about beating the heat just a little bit. Do you? How do you change maturities? What like what maturity would you be planning if you're out there March fifteenth on some of this ground versus a couple weeks later? Well, um, really, it's we won't pick the maturity as much. We'd let the maturity go with the farm as much as even with the earlier part of it. You know, um, some of them we're trying to get in a full season corn, such as a 2089 Pioneer or something to that nature, you know, that's 117-day or 18-day corn, you know, and or we'll be coming back. A lot of it's starting and getting the combines running even to that. It, I don't really play that much of a window because we don't know what's going to dry up or not dry up. Does that make kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we don't know what the rain's going to be on that dry land That's ground. Right. How about how about That's the irrigated right. ground then? How how does that strategy change? <laughs> well, that changes everything. That change that changes everything. You know, um, again, we we farm over a, a pretty good region. You know, we we farm over uh, in uh, twenty thirty miles in this state, and then we farm got another farm a hundred miles away, and so. You know, there's different things we'll do to again keep the combines running and try to keep all the corn from being harvested at one time so you know we'll we'll start out with i had some 108 day corn last year and that's about as early as i've ever grown from 108 day to 111 day to 114 but but what really works best for us is 114 15 117 that mid-season to full season it just yields better in the south for us yeah, everybody's kind of got a sweet spot and, and then a range mm-hmm. that they're running. It's kind of interesting just to hear what yours is. I, 108 yep. sounds early for you guys, but I see what you're trying to do, spread yep. out that harvest a little bit, yep. spread out but, your risk a little bit. What what I mean, about harvest? Oh. I had I had one that was 108-day corn, and it went into 111-day corn, and even into 118-day corn in the same field, 250-acre field. And as I started, we was at about 15% moisture, 
And then by the time I got to the other side of the field, it wasn't but about 18 or 19% moisture. So it wasn't that bad, you know. But I was trying to spread wrist over this over this pretty good-sized farm that was uh, a dry land farm, you know. All right, everybody talks about 24%, 25% moisture kind of being ideal for yield. Yeah. Uh, but it all depends yeah. on what you're set up with for, for drying right. capabilities and air That's in the bins. Right. What what do you guys set up for? What do you like to harvest at? Well, um, we have about 410,000 bushels of storage on hand. And so um, my cousin Stuart here, partner, he'll, he'll, we, can, we can gather a lot more corn than he can dry. Now, what, what works best money-wise, economic-wise, is somewhere around the, the 19 to 22%. It just flows good. The dryer runs good. Um, everything just works. We, you know, we, can, we can harvest somewhere around 30,000 bushel a day and not get in a hole, not get behind, and not have wet corn running out of our ears, you know. Yeah, that's the that's the tough part is is uh, matching up how fast yeah. we can harvest anymore because yep. that's yep. that's really sped up what we could do now yeah. compared to what we could uh, ten or twenty years ago and that's keeping right. that keeping that dryer going and the air and that's everything because right. you guys we are still warm. Out, we started out that long ago with a batch dryer and trying to trying to dry three thousand bushel a day. So yeah, we we know where you're talking about. But you're in a little different situation too, where you've got a lot of heat yet when you're harvesting corn. Where we're at, a lot of times it's pretty cold here, and uh, so we aren't as worried about spoilage. We feel like we got a little bit more cushion than, than of course, what you're going to have where it's warm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, we're going to be. I mean, it's going to be the first week of September. We're going to be running wide open. We'll get a little bit the last week of August if it's a normal growing season. If it's a bad year, say like 2012 was, we gathered some corn the first week of August. And like I said, that's an extreme situation, but um, you know it's still gonna be it's still gonna be warm. It's 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 hot. It's like gathering wheat, you know, in July for y'all or something, you know. All right, so tell me on these high yielding uh, irrigated pieces of ground, how far are you gonna push that population this year? Um, you know, I've I've had some corn. You know, last year I had some corn at fifty thousand, forty eight, forty four, four. You know, but but for me, and obviously it's my management skills. Um, forty forty thousand. It just starts to plane off for me. I just, I'm just not a. I guess I'm not educated enough yet to uh, manage it at that high population or with the hybrids that I'm trying it with. I'm still trying this with some 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 semi flex varieties, and um, it just, you know, it's just not that high population. Just takes a whole other class of management. Yeah, yeah, and, it sure does. Uh, it's, it's still a lot to learn there. You know. So forty thousand, forty forty two. You know, but but I would want to get that final stand of thirty six to to forty probably. But talking with Chad Henderson down in Alabama, and Chad's uh, of course winning yield contest there, and also kind enough to to do a a plot up on our farm at the Ag PhD Field Day. So Chad, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Talking about early season growth in corn and how big a deal that's going to be for your yield, we're going to give some of the keys that we've found that really have helped us uh, be successful even when we've had some adverse weather in the spring. We'll be right back after this. No secrets here. We all know, regardless of the markets, balanced crop nutrition pays. Agro-liquid fertilizers have the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you determine the best use of your fertilizer dollar. Agro-liquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit agroliquid.com to find a dealer near you. 
What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get rewarded with Roundup Ready Plus when you choose the proven power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. Learn more at mortonbuildings.com. One year it could be moisture stress, another pythium or nematodes. So you need your soybeans to rise ready for whatever the season holds. Now one simple decision provides coverage on four fronts. The Acceleron portfolio, fungicides, insecticides, bioenhancers, and an industry-leading nematicide that strikes where nematodes attack. This season, rise stronger with Acceleron seed treatment products. Learn more at acceleronsas.com slash rise ready. Performance may vary. It's important to use proper PPE when handling treated seed. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about early season corn growth, and it's different. We were just talking with Chad Henderson down in Alabama, uh, so you get a little perspective from the South. How about from the East Coast? Real happy to have Yield Champion Heath Cutrell with us. Heath, thanks for joining us today. How y'all doing? We're doing well. We're under a bunch of snow here, though, so I, I would much rather be where you're at. Yeah, it's uh. It's just like we left it, about 50 degrees and water standing on the ground. <laughs> yeah, everybody seems to be fighting this water problem. So, okay, so you got wet conditions at spring. How does that change things for you when you get to corn planting time? Well, it'll eventually dry up. It always does. Uh, I'm hoping uh, in the next week or two it'll start drying up a little bit and get in the field hopefully soon. Do you have a strategy as far as how early in the season you're willing to plant? If field conditions were good, how, how soon would you get going? I'd uh, I would I would try to the third week of March um, planting corn. Have Have you done that before? Have you gone that early? No, we've never gotten that early. About the first week of uh, April is about as, as early as we've ever gotten in there. Um, just as soon as the ground will dry off, we'll start ripping our ground. <clears throat> Yeah, breaking up that topsoil. 
Do you watch for well, a certain soil temp, or are you more watching for what the extended forecast is? Well, a little bit of both, actually. Yeah, we've we've debated this here just a little bit, and we've really looked at, well, what are the soil conditions like? And so often, if we can get good soil conditions, we want to run with it because a lot of times we end up getting wet in the later part of the spring. And if, if we miss a day where the soil's fit, it seems like it always comes back to bite us, at least in our heavy dirt. In, in some lighter soils in, in your area, what's that like? Well, honestly, to tell you the truth, so what we'll do here is uh, w- once we start ripping our ground, um, we, we plant anywhere from around 1,500 acres and shoot for 2,000 acres of corn ground. Uh, so basically if we start ripping, you know, it's a, it's a lengthy process, 16 foot, 20 foot at a time. Uh, we'll run two rippers and then we'll fall in there behind that with two true tandems, field cultivator and planting. So it's regardless of the situation, it's, it's a, you know, it'd be a, a month, a month and a half process. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you got a lot of prep work to do, you know, in the Midwest here, I would say, Maybe 10% of the fall work got done, maybe a little better, but we're really struggling here, so I know there's going to be a lot of spring work that's going to slow us up too. How about fertility? Do you wait with all that till spring? Yeah, we've actually, we had about a three-week window about three weeks ago that we were able to uh, burn our corn ground down. So we're looking at straight dirt right now. We were also able to get all of our lime put down on our corn ground. So we're a little ahead, but fertility... Um, we always put that right ahead of the planter just for the fact you never know what kind of rain we're going to get, and we may not get to plant as much corn ground as we want to done. What do you do in for, or are you putting more stuff off like two-by-two two or something like that? So we're always in for, but I've been talking to uh, my seed guy, and I'm thinking that we may put a two-by-two-by-three down this year if we can get it on our planter soon enough. Nice, nice. Yeah, we're hearing a lot of that uh, going on and, and of course there are a lot of uh, real high yielding producers like randy dowdy and kevin matthews and others kind of promoting that system just sharing that it's really worked for them uh it'd be, be fun to see what it does for you see if it can take you up even another notch yeah i'm excited uh i'm thinking we could uh probably bump it up a touch more um i'd really like to shoot for 400 of course you know you never know how much that's going to take or how much money is going to take to get you there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. But you never know, even a small, a small amount of acres or just a, a field or two to try out some of these different things is, is kind of fun just to learn and see what can be done. Yeah, I agree with that. So, you know, going in with this earlier plan, let's just say that everything worked out and from here on out, it's, it's great. And a guy could get in the third week of March in Virginia where you're at would you up the population with that early planting, or do you kind of have a, a pop that, that you really like in your high-producing fields? No, I think uh, 36 to 38 is about as high as I want to go with uh, our land. We've tried it as high as 42,000. Seems like uh, 38 is where I like to be. It just seems like it starts falling off uh, on 30-inch rows. Uh, if you get any higher than, say, 40 to 42, I, I've noticed – a decrease on my yield. Yeah, I I think that's an interesting point, and I'm glad you brought that up too, because because we uh, we see a lot of guys doing some trial work on this this year. A lot of the farmers that we've been talking to, and they they say the same thing that man, you get too many plants out there, it's really hard to keep them all fed, and and hard to keep good stock quality. 
Yeah, when people think uh, high yield, that's the first thing they want to do is throw more corn plants down there, and I don't think that's the answer to high yield. Uh, you know, if you, the more that you're putting down there, obviously the more you have to to uh, feed, and a lot of people are not doing that, I don't think. Nope, nope, I totally agree with you. It's uh, you really got to step it up. If well, like you say, four hundred bushel corn that that pulls a lot of nutrients out and it's not cheap to to go after that kind of thing. A guy's got to be pretty sharp. And, you know, here's one thing too, Heath, uh, I'm super pumped for you. I'm super pumped that you won the NCGA trial this year. That was fantastic. Uh, what, what have you learned since then, since, uh, you started getting all this publicity and, uh, everybody's starting to know your name and know who you are. Does that add to the pressure? I think it does, but I, Honestly, I, I try to stay uh, and want to be humbling towards people. Uh, you know, the fame ain't where I want to be. I want to be able to do this as, uh, as uh, all the way across the board, I guess you'd say, and stay uh, where we can try to stay above float on this uh, low commodity prices. And uh, Because, honestly, I, haven't, I don't do a plot. I do what I do for one acre. I do for the whole fifteen to 2,000 acres. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. And I, I agree with you. It's what the whole farm's going to make for profit. That That's uh, the only thing you're going to be able to take to the bank at the end of the season. been talking with Heath Cuttrell, uh, Farms in Virginia. If you didn't check out the National Corn Growers Association Yield Contest this year, uh, they just knocked it out of the park. I'm, I'm so happy for you, Heath, and really appreciate your uh, uh, sharing your time with us and, and some information with us today again. Yep. Thank you all for having me on, and uh, I wish everybody the best and a, a good growing season. You bet. Thanks a lot, Heath, and hopefully you guys get some sunshine and some warmth here coming soon. I, I know there's a lot of field work to be done, not just in Heath's area, Brian, but in our area too. How, how is that going to impact for us on our farm, Brian, the the corn crop that we're going to be putting in this spring? Well, it's really hard to say. I mean, we're just, we're guessing at this point. We're five weeks away from planting at the earliest, and we're six to seven weeks away from normal planting, normal first planting date. So we got a lot of time. I, I mean, we've had record cold lately, but we've, we just as, uh, just as well could have record heat coming up in three, four weeks, and all of a sudden things change. It's like last year, we had feet of snow in April. I mean, feet of snow. We couldn't turn a wheel in March or April, and all of a sudden we have one of the warmest Mays we've ever had. So you just don't know from year to year. But I do know this. When fall tillage didn't get done, and when fall fertilizer didn't get done, then adjustments have to be made. And because we're not going to be able to go out there and do field work in March, it looks like, then it it appears to me we're going to be doing a little bit more strip till with coulters this spring, and then we'll probably put on a little bit more fertilizer with the planter or with these uh, with a strip till coulter machine. I, I I mean here here's one other thing. A lot of people have been asking about broadcasting fertilizer this spring, and you can certainly do that. But think about your P and especially like K, some of these nutrients that don't break down super quickly. And also, you've got to work them in. If you don't work them in, they're not going to be down in the root zone. So if let's just say you broadcast it out there and you don't work it in, how much good is that MAP or DAP or potash going to do you this year? Almost none in areas that are traditionally cooler and have heavier soil. It's just it's not going to get down in the root zone. So I'm just trying to say if that's rented ground, there's not a chance in the world I'd do that. No way. 
So I'd really seriously consider on your rented ground, I'm going to do more banding. You got to do more injection. Do something to get that fertilizer down into the ground. And yeah, it's this is an unusual year if you didn't get your fall fertilizer and fall tillage done, and you normally do. So you just have to make some little adjustments. And I mean, this year can still be a fantastic year, but you may have to change things because of your timing now. All right, we're talking about early season corn growth. We're also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Graze on Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Graze on Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit leavetheweedstars.com to learn more about Graze on Next. Always read and follow label directions. In farming, there's a lot of variables out of our control. Don't let fertility be one of them. Let the experts at AgroLiquid move you closer to your bullseye. It's true, AgroLiquid fertilizers are formulated to keep nutrients available to your crop, and they have unmatched compatibility with other nutrients and crop protection products, which makes application more efficient than ever. But we also have the best people in the field ready to talk about your operation, your goals. Go to agroliquid.com to move you closer to your target. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. In farming, getting things done early has a way of setting you up for success, like using Corvus for an early season win over weeds. Corvus keeps even the toughest weeds from gaining a foothold. Multiple sites of action deliver superior control of emerged weeds. And later, Corvus reactivates with just a half inch of rain to take out any new weeds that may have sprouted. So get an early season win against weeds with Corvus for end of season rewards. Always read and follow label instructions. Corvus is a restricted use pesticide. High yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox. Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. 
All right, Brian, we've got a number of mailbag questions that are in here that, that we're going to get to in just one second. But I wanted to finish up on uh, uh, the early season corn growth, too, because we've had a few questions come in about that, uh, basically revolving around what is your program. I know you guys plan as early as anybody. That kind of stuff It basically sums most of them up. Uh, so you want to talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, we discussed this earlier in the show, but the big thing is make sure you have really good seed treatments on. If you're, you aren't getting that on your corn, you can add additional things. We look an awful lot at biologicals. We also really like that new Intego fungicide. It's fantastic on Pythium and is really helping with early emergence. On top of that, I would look at insecticide inferral. I'd look at fungicide inferral and a low rate of low salt starter fertilizer. We use a lot of agroliquid stuff because it's low salt. We've had good luck with that. But the point is we want all these things there nearby to help that seed because it is going to be under a lot of stress in many cases. Now, you will get some people who will say, let's let the soil warm up. And that's great in some areas of of the world. It may be even possible on your farm to do. But what we have found in the, the Midwestern United States is it doesn't work because we don't have as much yield potential when we wait to plant. So if we're going to plant in cold soils, and I'm perfectly comfortable planting when the soil temps 45 degrees, maybe even 40. If you're going to do something like that, or let me turn this around, you say, well, I'm going to plant and the soil temps 50, 55 degrees, but then what happens if I get a cold rain? I get a cold weather event. I get a snow on it. All of a sudden, my soil temp drops into the upper 30s. That's happened to us many times. If those things are going to happen, then you've got to have that extra protection there. If you aren't willing to invest any extra dollars into making sure that you get that great stand, then yes, by all means, wait to plant your corn. You'll have given up some yield, but at least you should have a better stand. Some other questions that we run into, no-till versus strip-till versus conventional till. We really, really like tillage for warming up soil. We also really, really don't like tillage because it can cause problems out there, everything from erosion to burning your organic matter up faster. So there's no perfect answer to this, all right? That's my point. If you till or if you strip-till, it's going to be warmer where that seed is placed, and it is you are going to get faster emergence. So if that is important to you, then that can be a big advantage. On top of this, herbicide stunting. We get a lot of questions. So our, our topic today was early season corn growth. But I don't care if we're talking corn, wheat, soybeans, anything. We get lots of questions about, all right, I'm going to use a pre-emerge herbicide, but boy, you know, I notice that where I use the pre-emerge herbicide, it seems like my crop is a little bit stunted. The whole thing is, in order for these herbicides to be safe to the crop, the crop basically has to metabolize. It has to work it through its system. Think about like a human being. You have to digest food. Okay, so it's the same type of theory. It's got to get it through the system. And is it possible that you might see a little stunting? Yes, it is. And would we have better yields if we could just somehow magically wave a wand out there and all weeds disappeared the second that they emerged from the ground without having to use a herbicide? Yes, we would. Okay, there is going to be some herbicide stunting, and there can possibly sometimes be slight yield loss because of that. But it's nothing to get usually 
too alarmed about. You just want to try to pick the right herbicide, use it in the right fashion, and you should be fine. So I still am going to strongly encourage you to use pre-emerge herbicides in all crops. There are plenty of safe ones out there, plenty of ones that are going to work great, and you need that weed control because weeds are just big-time yield robbers. So we have to have that. Last couple of things. Diseases, we we know we're going to have more disease when it's cold and wet. So that's why we talk so much about fungicides, multiple fungicides, using good fungicides. That's all super important. Early season insects. I mean, I think about corn. Probably the number one that I think about is cutworm. Uh, but, you know, there are below ground pests as well. Uh, wheat, plenty of below ground pests like what we see in wheat with wireworm, for example. In corn, there are also seed corn maggots, seed corn beetles, there are white grubs, a whole bunch of different bugs that can infest corn and wheat. In soybeans, I think about bean leaf beetles, but you know, there are other bugs below ground in soybeans too. So my point is, I really, really like having some insecticide out there. And the longer that 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 crop is going to sit in the ground, so in other words, the colder that soil, the more these things are likely to pay. Uh, I want to come back to what I said about fertilizer. The infurrow stuff, you really have to pay attention to that salt. And one of the most common things that we see is, guys, in a year like this year where, oh, we didn't get the fall fertilizer on, you know what? Let's bump the rate of what we do in furrow with our, our planter. If you're running a high salt product like 1034-0, that actually may hurt you more than it may help you. Yes, I, I realize you may need the fertilizer, but it's the problem of how much salt is near that seed and young seedling. So you can use more 1034-0 or higher salt products if you get that further away. But when it's in furrow, now we've got a real problem. And that's where we talk so much about these low salt products. Um, oh, <laughs> So, that, so that's all I've got to say on the, the early season growth thing. We, we had a caller a little bit ago. What, what were they saying, Darren, that I was giving you a hard time about? Uh, you said you, That happens you had, every show, Brian. You it's said, not just unique to this one. Yes, but you had used the words record high May temperatures. And so I assumed you're talking about the entire, you said the month of May. And so that's what I was worried about that, you know, just people who are sticklers for facts. Last year was not the record high for the month of May. Uh, now, there was a day, I think it was May 27th, where we set a record high. There might have been another day too, but most of the dates, I, it was 1934 or 36, where it's still like half the days in May, uh, the high temperature on that day comes from that year that was almost 100 years ago now. But anyway, last year was a very warm May, so that was great. And here's my point. When you start thinking back to last year, because usually as farmers, that's the first thing we think about is, well, what happened last year? Well, boy, I did this last year and it worked out phenomenally well. I realize that. But last year we had a really warm May you know, throughout much of the Midwest, you go up into Canada, even it was warm in May. How often is it that warm in May? The only thing we know because of last year is that this year is going to be different. That's the only thing I can guarantee you. This is not going to be the exact same weather year as last year. So we got to start thinking about, okay, normally, what do I have for high temperatures? Normally, when I plant on this date, what happens after this? Normally, how many issues do I have with diseases, with insects, with weeds, and try to manage from there? Rather than trying to manage through some extreme of, hey, we had one of the five warmest Mays on record, is that going to happen again? Well, our odds are probably pretty slim.
All right. Well, you get it. You have something that works all the time. And I, I just think, you know, when we get, we get spring weather, what's happening? Why are we planting? Because we're expecting it to start warming up. So you want to be prepared. And the earlier you can plant safely, the better you are. Yep. But you know, you use the words, something that works all the time. And we, what we hear from farmers is they say to us, I would really like something that works consistently. Well, the problem is we don't have anything that's consistent. Our temperature isn't. Our rainfall isn't. Our soil conditions aren't. The diseases that show up aren't. The insects that show up aren't. We change varieties all the time. We change herbicides. We, we change so much stuff. I mean, how can we get consistency? We can't. And we just don't know from year to year what for sure is going to work and what for sure is not going to work. So that's why we're talking about helping your crop along the way get through some of the challenges that it has. Because ideally, Darren, I'd love to have it so my my, my field is just automatically weed, insect, and disease-free, and I can just go plant any variety I want, and everything comes up amazingly well. But in the real world, that kind of stuff just flat out doesn't happen. So that's why we talk so much about treatments and getting the weeds, insects, and diseases under control and having great fertility right away when that plant gets started in any crop. All right. All good tips. No doubt about that. Uh, we've got a number of questions coming in. If you've got a question for us, give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us at agphd media or Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty on Twitter. And uh, we'll get your question answered. I had a quick one from Tony. He said, is there a liquid elemental sulfur product? No, unfortunately, Tony, there's not. Sulfuric acid would probably be the closest, but of course, you, you don't want to mess with that for, uh, for your fields. We'll be right back with more questions after this. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agrist specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. Increase your productivity with Hypro's Dual React Control System. The dual nozzle body design allows you to drive at the speed you want while maintaining the rate and droplet size you need. Hypro, helping you spray better. Interested in strip tillage? You should know about the Soil Warrior from ETS. With one-pass efficiency, optimized nutrient placement, and reduced production costs for higher profitability, the Soil Warrior brings the future to your farm. Visit SoilWarrior.com to learn more. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and buy two, save three are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. 
Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. You know what's convenient? If you're a soybean grower, what's convenient is Zidua Pro Herbicide. That's because you get fast and complete burndown together with up to two weeks longer residual than other herbicides and three sites of action for broad-spectrum weed control plus built-in resistance management. All in one convenient jug. And that turns out to be very inconvenient for pigweed, water hemp, and mare's tail. Contact your local BASF rep today. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. With the success of the Case IH Tiger Quad Track and Magnum Road Track tractors, it's no secret why Case IH is the leader of the track. So it wasn't surprising when the competition started imitating us. Because Case IH offered the first five axle design to give you more power to the ground with less berming and compaction, all to help you be more productive. Still, we're flattered. In fact, if we weren't already red, we'd be blushing. To learn more, visit caseih.com tracks. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you've got a question. Got this one from Scott, and he said, I, I bought some ground, um, irrigated sand, and going to put on some feedlot manure here and plant corn in 2019. Uh, planning on this manure fertility to be adequate for three years to cover my phosphorus and potassium needs. I also banned 15 gallons of an 820 starter and fertigate nitrogen and sulfur on the corn crop. Okay. Uh, that's a, that's a yeah. thought, though, that a lot of farmers have got is, all right, I'm going to put on enough manure that I'm going to hold on for more than one year. A lot of times we'll hear two years. This three-year approach is a little different than normal, but uh, that I'm going to have enough P and K that I can get by for multiple years. Yeah, and I don't have any issue if we start talking about putting on P and K for multiple years. That actually can work in a lot of cases. Most farmers, I, I think that I talk to, apply fertilizer in front of their corn and hope it's going to last for the beans. Now, I might do it the opposite way, but I'm just trying to say there are a lot of people out there that will apply every other year, so they are putting two years' worth of fertilizer out when they're doing it, or hopefully they're putting two years' worth of fertilizer out. So when I had looked at this, I just said, yes, in both cases, you should have enough total nutrients there. I added up the phosphorus, I added up the potassium, and I also took a look at what's my removal going to be. So that's really the big thing is if you say, okay, well, I'm going to raise corn followed by beans followed by corn or whatever it is, you've got to look at how much am I pulling out of that? So use the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app and look at the grain removal. I'm assuming you're leaving all the residue out there. But look at the grain removal and how much are you going to pull off of that ground. So, for example, on phosphorus, it ended up being 223 pounds. Of potassium, it was 200 pounds. Assuming, again, it was corn, beans, corn. So over that three years, 223 on phosphorus, or phosphate, I should say, and 200 on K2O potassium. And in both cases, you are going to get more than that put out there. So it should be fine. All right. Well, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's uh, 
fun to do that math a little bit just to figure out, okay, where are we going to be? Now, the other thing is if you just have an unbelievable year and all of a sudden it's, wow, I got 300 bushel corn this year, make sure you go back yes. and look at that fertility plan again. Now, let's also talk about managing areas on that field separately. So what are, I realize we talk about, okay, here's my average yield. Well, what are your top yielding spots at? If your top yielding spots, to Darren's point, are at 300 bushel corn and 100 bushel beans, then you're shorting yourself. So you've got to take a look at that as well. One last thing I will say, if you heard me say, I don't have a big problem putting out three years worth of fertilizer, that's for nutrients that aren't going to move much in soil. If I've got heavy soil, and especially when I'm in a dry part of the country, I'm not that concerned about losing my P and K as long as I have put them down into the ground. Now, if I lay them on the soil surface, I have no intention of working them in and getting them down into the ground. Then yes, I am concerned, especially if I have highly erodible land, because I could have soil erosion that takes those nutrients off my field and now creates either an environmental issue somewhere, or it just puts a whole bunch of nutrients into a small area of my field or someone else's field. All right, lots of good thoughts there. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Uh, got one here that came in on Facebook, actually. It said, hello, I really enjoy your show on RFD TV. Uh, in your experience, what is the best performing spray for weeds and thistle type or even cactus weeds in grass? Uh, when I think about, uh, first when I saw that question, I thought, huh, what is a cactus weed species? I thought about yucca that we'll hear, we'll get questions on. Remedy seems to work pretty well, especially if you mix some oil with that. That's our best bet there. But in terms of thistles and just other broadleaf weeds that we often see in grasslands, there are some really good products out there, whether it's Tordon or Milestone or Ally or Cimarron. There's three different ones that we see used in some combination products and so forth that have been pretty good. I like the amino pyrrolid that's in Milestone, probably the best for many of the thistle species. But I know, Brian, you've always really liked the Tordon. Well, Tordon's good, but yeah, Milestone is better. It's just uh, what other weeds are we trying to control? Tordon's a little more broad spectrum than what Milestone is. Both have tremendous residual, and that's the next thing. When you mention Remedy, no residual. Tordon, years worth of residual. So you got to look at, okay, is this always going to be grass? Is it always going to be pasture? What are we going to do with this long term? And do I need to spike in some 2,4-D or buy a combination uh, that contains 2,4-D? And also take a look at the new 2,4-D. That new Freelux is amazing compared to old 2,4-D. We're not seeing the volatility or drift with the old stuff, yet we're seeing the same performance. And it only costs just a little bit more. So it all depends on your situation, what you're trying to do. But, uh, yeah, you, you've got several good options there. Just look at what else you're trying to kill. Okay. Uh Got get a couple of feedback things here. This one uh, comes from the UK, from Mike. And he said, uh, just wanted to say thanks for uh, for what you're doing with the show. Uh, I, I noticed on a previous episode that you'd run, I found on YouTube, that you were talking about how did the bushel even get started. And you claim it ca came back to the Brits. Uh, however, our gallons and your gallons are, are slightly different and it's almost as confusing to me as the phosphorus versus P2O5 conversation. So here's yep. to going metric and elemental on fertilizer. <laughs> okay. We'll leave it at that. 
<laughs> well, we do get questions on that from time to time about conversions. And yes. hey, you know what? If you're if you're in a spot that has a different unit of measure, chances are you've got those conversion figures, or you can find them online to convert from what we're doing here in the U.S. to easily tell what you're going to need. Just just know that we're not in the metric system normally when we're talking with the units of measure that we're using here, and then just convert accordingly. It's the same for us when we travel. Um, pretty much anywhere else that that's using kilograms per hectare or metric tons of production, these kinds of things, we've always got to do those conversions back as well. Yep. All right. Another piece of feedback. This one comes from Ryan and he said, you don't need to air this, but uh, I did. <laughs> but Darren is anyway. But I did hear <laughs> your, you well, no, there? it's nothing <laughs> confidential. He said, I heard a mailbag comment recently about using urea, AMS, and ESN in the same pass. You remember okay. that one, Brian? I think it was from up in Ontario or somewhere. I think it was across the border. Uh, he said, in our experience, this actually works pretty well. We've done it sure. for a while. The challenge is spreading multiple products, and right. we haven't had good success with the spinner spreader. Uh, we found that you really need a double spread at a minimum. So mm -hmm. now we've gone to using an air boom spreader, sure. and we've had, actually had excellent results even on a single pass 72 feet wide. And otherwise, he said, using your advice, we're now adding potash, manganese, and boron uh, in, in that applicator and we've had really good luck with that. Good. I was just going to say it's very common for people to put urea together with ESN because the ESN's controlled release. You want some nitrogen available right now with urea or soon and then some to release later with the ESN. To throw ammonium sulfate in there adds another little twist to it. I like having some sulfur out there number one and ammonium sulfate is kind of a controlled release nitrogen so i'd almost think that'd be like the middle level in between the urea which is now and the esn which is later all right thanks for the question we really appreciate that and you know the the early planting corn strategies that we were talking about on today's show uh when we think about some of these micros i'll get questions on that too brian i'll say what do you think about the micros does that help we have Absolutely. found we have found that adding micros and making sure your micros are all in decent levels is really another key to this and i know in that question there uh it was just manganese. mentioned putting out manganese yep. uh, but even putting out a little bit of boron if you're short in those things they will pay so you do need to measure those on soil tests and see where you're at. And then uh, back to an earlier question that you had, Brian, about some areas of your farm are 300 bushel areas and other areas are 150 bushel areas. It may be the same thing with the micros, yep. that you need more of them in certain areas. So if you're out spreading a, a big mix of a lot of different nutrients together... If you could do variable rate with each of those, that's pretty powerful. If you've got a, a spreader of some sort with a with a cart or whatever that would have multiple compartments to be able to, hey, let's kick in some manganese in these areas of the farm and not in others. Now, the other thing that you could do, of course, and we've done some of this on our farm, is just find out, all right, where is our highest level of manganese? And if everything's all low, well, you can spread so it just gets that highest area up to kind of where you want to be and then you can come back in and variable rate some more later anyway really appreciate all the questions a lot of people excited about next spring including me thanks for all the questions that came in today thanks for everybody that called into the show really appreciate some of the tips from some of the high yielding growers that called in and thanks to you for listening be sure to join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio